I'm Stephen Hunt. Welcome to the Active Performance Framework, a podcast that gives global managers and their teams the confidence and power of clarity to grow their international business in innovative ways. This week, get your communication right. What do experienced global managers say in private about communication in global business? So what are the biggest communication mistakes that global managers make and what can they do to get it right? Lots of people write about leaders having unclear aims, a confusing strategy, communicating badly, demotivating people or poor delegations. These mistakes are well documented. It's in business books, articles, podcasts, videos, and it's all over the internet. But what mistakes do leaders themselves talk about one-to-one in private? Well, I'm lucky enough to have interviewed hundreds of global managers and listened to what they say, which you don't necessarily find in the books and the articles. Also, as a coach and consultant, I have a background in finance and clinical psychology, and that makes it easier for me to understand the business context and the human dynamics within the group. These interviews were often part of a change management project or 360 feedback interviews on executive performance and all of them were one-to-one, a format where people open up more and share what's really on their mind. And this is what executives say are their mistakes and more importantly, how to avoid the mistakes. The number one mistake is delaying tough conversations. This is the classic problem that global managers face A couple of years ago, I was with the director of operations. He had a country manager in another country in Europe. The country was doing really well. It was hitting all the performance targets, but the manager, the way he was going about it, was creating a toxic atmosphere. The manager was demotivating employees. So there's a clear pattern, and long-term it can't continue, but like a rabbit caught in a car's headlights, this director of operations had frozen. He was in denial, he was in delusion, and those two elements, denial and delusion, dominated. Just a quick word on terminology here. A delusion is simply an excuse that you tell yourself so many times you begin to believe it. The director of operations was just hoping, and I think every night he was praying that the problem would go away. It won't. The downward spiral will continue. In international business, Two factors, distance and time zones, accentuate this problem. It makes the temptation all the much bigger for global executives to ignore these types of problems and concentrate solely on performance. And you see this all the time. Weak executives will reduce their contact, the frequency, the sincerity of the contact with what they call problem locations. And they'll start making excuses for not traveling there. They'll introduce little processes that means they don't have to go there. For example, they'll say, let's use video conferencing more. All of these things are an attempt to maintain this position of denial and delusion because they don't have the confidence to have the tough conversations. And in a way, it's understandable because... Although you can control what you say, you can't control the local manager's reaction. So the question always runs through managers' heads. What will stop the local manager from getting the local employees to turn on you? 
And then you become a global director of operations with a revolution on your hands. It's so easy for the local manager to portray you as the nasty boss from the head office. He's got the opportunities every day to feed his version of the story, if you like, his fake news. And faced with these barriers and with the underlying lack of confidence and clarity about what they want, many global executives will avoid tough conversations at worst and at best they delay those tough conversations and they will ultimately pay the price with poor results and disaffected employees. When you speak to executives, one of the biggest regrets that they express and they don't express many regrets is I wish I'd had the tough conversation earlier. I wish I hadn't delayed the tough conversation. So what can you do about it? Confront your own delusions and then confront the local manager as soon as possible. Executive delusions come in two forms. One, believing that nobody else sees the problem. And two, that nobody is annoyed by the problem. Chances are they both see it and get annoyed by it. So there's little to gain from waiting. And when you speak to executives about why they delayed, there's very rarely a good reason. The second thing I hear good executives doing is they always advise to confront the local manager face to face. The best way is to get the manager and all of his team in the same room at the same time, because this prevents different interpretations and local manipulation post-meeting. Be firm, be polite, be respectful, open, honest, and above all, start with the facts. If you start with the facts that can't be disputed, it's clear that people see you're trying to resolve the situation. What I see a lot of people do is they seek to understand first and then solve the issues the local manager has. They don't try to go for any big goals. They set up a 30-day resolution on the goals and they move forward. And they check in after 30 days and set another 30-day goals. These small steps, according to most executives, is what takes people forward. And it's backed up by research. Recently, researchers at the University of Rotterdam showed that tough love, that's in a balance of assertiveness and empathy, is the best way to keep things on course. What stops executives from showing tough love and what makes them delay the conversations is normally confidence, their own confidence and their confidence in the local manager and his team to want to solve the problem. What's the second biggest mistake that executives make? Ignoring employee feedback. Let's face it, some executives are autocrats They know their business inside out. They rarely want direct feedback from employees because they get it indirectly from peers and colleagues and customers and suppliers. And although that management style is not fashionable at the moment, there's actually little evidence to say it can't work for certain leaders. Where autocrats struggle is when they go global. Because in international markets, of course, you have different countries, each with different markets, different tastes different demands and different needs. A much bigger problem is the global manager who wants to be a Democrat and wants to involve people or empower people, but actually ignores employees. That's because a democratic management style has certain assumptions attached to it. The assumption is by being democratic, you involve people. If people are involved, they'll be more motivated, 
motivated people are more productive, motivated people are more innovative, and higher productivity and higher innovation both lead to better business results. Well, that's all well and good, but it has a price. Democracy requires two-way communication, and the biggest price is A, how to communicate, and B, the time that you've got to invest. If you want to be a democratic global manager, you must listen to employee feedback, because if not, the employees will see this pseudo-democracy for what it really is. Executives with this problem are often concerned that their employees are not speaking up. The interesting thing about ignoring employee feedback is it's not often what the executives talk about first. When they come to me, executives will say that they see a problem with a process or there's a product defect or efficiency issues or quite simply poor implementation of plans. It might have gone through to the next stage where they'll talk about a rise in internal conflicts or people playing politics and power games, obviously with negative outcomes. But it rarely comes out as employees saying that they feel ignored by the manager. Again, time and distance accentuates the problem because it's harder to hear all those employee voices when you're not in the same locations. So it becomes really important with employee feedback to decide what you really want. One thing I advise managers to do is only ask for opinions if you're going to listen to them and take action on them. And if you don't want opinions from people, don't waste their time or yours by asking for it. It's amazing the number of times that I've been offered opinion, uh, what a colleague of mine calls unsolicited feedback. In other words, feedback that's not been asked for from people who don't know what they're talking about. I accept it. I politely show interest in the person, but I'd far rather have feedback from an expert or from a customer. So if you do want people to give you their opinion, here's five things you need to do. First, you need to make time to listen. One senior manager I I know blocks two days every year in his calendar for employee feedback. A vice president who got the responsibility for sales in France spends a week every year travelling with local sales managers. He's only got school-level French, but at least he spends some time listening to what their opinions are. Secondly, understand what is it in their viewpoint What exactly are they trying to communicate? Because thirdly, most employees are nervous about talking to the big global boss. Their message will have been going round their head for a few days before the big meeting. And also they may be communicating in their second language, in English most likely, which makes articulation harder. Fourthly, you really have to get into a dialogue with the employees to find the solutions to their issues. And fifthly, We then get to evaluate and decide what actions to take. Notice that deciding who's right or wrong doesn't even enter the process until that fifth stage, which is the evaluation stage. So what I've learned from the best executives is that initially a huge amount of time is spent in dialoguing around understanding, understanding the facts, understanding the opinions around those facts, and not jumping too quickly to evaluation and taking sides between who's right or wrong. What's the third biggest mistake? Joining in gossip and office rumours. 
It's amazing how people behave like old fisherwomen, waffling away to each other about every tittle-tattle piece of information that comes across their desk. Global managers are not immune to this temptation. Very little good comes from gossiping, because executives are seen as political animals not to be trusted or not to be believed. It might sound totally obvious not to get involved in gossip and office rumours, but the motivation is very also very clear. Most executives want to be in the know. They want to know what's going on. And often the psychological driver is the need to control or a lack of self-confidence or damaged trust, which is effectively an inability to trust other people. There's no doubt that it can be difficult because the same channels that the gossip and rumours flow along, those informal communication channels, are exactly the same channels that some people will use to communicate with you because they don't want to use the more formal reporting channels. And it's a fine line. It's a fine line between listening to the informal information that's coming up and going over into gossiping and rumours. But at the end of the day, a leader can't be the boss and one of the boys, as the old saying goes. By definition, the leader is up front, at the top, and people will look to you to set the standards. That's always been the case. What I see the best executives do is they're very clear on that boundary between the professional and the personal, and they know that it's quickly crossed with, with gossip and rumours. What I hear the best global managers and executives doing is they simply accept that office gossip and rumours will always be there. They accept that these informal channels of communication have both positive and negative effects. And they accept and have internalised the choice. It's their choice and their responsibility for deciding when to get involved in gossip and when to hold back. What I see is that if you have to join in or you want to join in the office banter and humour, use positive humour and avoid sarcasm. Instead, practice developing a sense of irony. That's a type of humour which is international. So those three biggest mistakes that you will hear executives talking about when they're one-to-one -one in their private moments are delaying tough conversations ignoring employee feedback, joining in gossip and office rumours. And the way to deal with them are have the tough conversations as soon as possible, decide what employee feedback you want, listen to it and then evaluate it, and avoid the rumours by using humour, the best type is without doubt irony. And you can do all of these when you have the self-confidence and a real clarity of purpose as to what you're doing in your international business. I'm Stephen Hunt. Thank you for listening. Join me next time for more on how top global managers use confidence and the power of clarity to grow their business.